that's all you'll be hearing from our lead pastor, Kevin Larson, today as we read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Again, that's Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34, and it's found on page 811 in the Black House Pew Bibles. So if you're physically able, would you stand and join me as we read together? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for Kevin and his preparation and um, speaking this text to us again this week. God, I ask that we would seek first your kingdom. God, that we would have an understanding of what that means for us this week. Um, God, would you open our eyes to see your goodness in our ears, to hear of your glory. Um, God, free us of all anxiety. Help us to rest in you and know that you're in control and that you are good. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Brandon. Um, I hope you'll come back next week. Um, My friend Robert Chong is going to be our guest preacher. Last uh, summer, for our Summer One read, we read his book, Restoration Story, which just really lays out the gospel of Jesus and how it um, impacts um, our good days and our hard days. And he'll be here next week. I'm really excited for that. And so make sure you come back. Um, Before I get into the text, um, I'm going to pray for Tyler Eads. He he was leading us today. He was sitting up here. Um, He's got this inner ear thing that is... um, is getting worse and worse, and it's really impacting. He, he's dizzy most of the time, um, can, is getting to where it's impacting his hearing. And um, I don't know if you guys know, but he just kind of wakes up every day um, thinking about how to lead you in worship, and it's one of his, it's you know, maybe his main passion, and um, it's going to be hard for him to keep doing it for a while. So um, if you would pray with me, if you're, if you're near him, um, maybe lay hands on him or stretch out your hands toward him. Um, just going to go before the Lord for our, our brother. We beg you, Heavenly Father, um, to touch and heal our brother Tyler. 
We love him so much. He means so much to us, Lord. Um, we, um, we care far more about him and his heart than we do um, his guitar or his voice, but we know that you've given him both and you, um, you've just given him such a passion to lead that he wants to do so much, Father. Um, we, we don't understand what's going on. Um, we don't like what's going on. Um, we trust you on our hard days, but Lord, we just know you say, call out to you for healing. Um, we believe that you can do it. Um, we just beg that you would, Father, um, supernaturally, by your um, power, for your glory, do that today, we pray. Um, Lord, if, if, you, if, you, if it's your will to use um, more natural means, um, just give us the right doctors, um, um, wisdom for them um, to, to know what to do. We just plead with you for Tyler, for Stephanie, um, that you would heal our brother, that you would encourage his heart right now as I know he's just deeply sad. Work, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may notice, may have noticed that we read the same passage that we read last week, you know, experiencing some deja vu. But yeah, we're going to look at it again from a different angle this morning. I don't know how many of you are enjoying the NFL playoffs. Um, I, I certainly am. I've been a, a Chiefs fan since I was a kid, back when the playoffs um, were really not much of a, a possibility. Now I look forward to this time of year when we get to see number 15 in red do his thing, and we all, we get to take it in, all of us. But a quarterback I know that you've heard of, even if you don't follow football, you've probably heard of the name, um, the one they, they call the GOAT, at least he is for now, um, number 12, Tom Brady, you probably heard that name. Now, there's been more than a meme or two the last couple of weeks that have laughed at the way Brady's season ended and what it cost him. The, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers finished the regular season with an 8-9 record. They somehow snuck into the playoffs, but this past Monday, they suffered a 31-14 home blowout loss to the Dallas Cowboys. But you may know this, but... After last season, Brady actually decided to retire, but that lasted, what, I think all of 40 days or so, and as a result, his wife of 13 years, Giselle, walked away from him. So Brady here, he's still playing at the age of 45, he'd put the pursuit of rings above all else, including his family, and she'd had enough, she decided, of wearing his ring. Here's the question I want us to think about today. What is your life all about? What is your highest ambition? What is so valuable that you'd give up everything you had to obtain it? The one thing that you could never see yourselves giving up on. And is that thing, is that ambition truly worth what it costs? Here in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus tells us very clearly what our ambition should be, what we're made by God to pursue. I read this last week. Author Scott McKnight summarizes those verses in this way that I think is helpful. These are words for radicals about a radical lifestyle of trusting God for the ordinaries of life while devoting oneself unreservedly toward the kingdom mission. Last week we looked at the first part of that summary, a radical lifestyle of trusting God where we're fighting against worry, where we're trusting him for our needs, this morning, I want us to take on the second half, devoting ourselves 
unreservedly toward the kingdom mission. That, friends, is what we're made for. But before we jump into that, I want you to think with me about where we've been in the verses just before these verses in chapter 6. Our context has walked us toward this point of decision. What will we, Chorus, make our lives about? In verses 19 through 21, Jesus tells us to lay up treasures in heaven and not here on earth. In verses 22 and 23, Jesus tells us to have our eyes, our hearts, focused on him, full of light, and not on other things, and then full of darkness. In verse 24, Christ tells us to serve God and not money. He says that we can't possibly do both. And here in verses 25 through 34, the Lord tells us not to focus on food and clothing and be filled with worry, but to run rather after his kingdom, and that's where we're going to focus our time on today. We're going to focus on verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here's the big idea I want us to wrestle with and leave with today. It's this. Karas, let's make his reign and ways our priority and our passion, knowing that the prize is worth the price. Let's make his reign and ways our priority and our passion, knowing that the prize is worth the price. Now, you may have noticed some alliteration there. Um, I don't usually try to pursue that, but sometimes it just, it's just one of those weeks, and um, thankfully it came through at least by Saturday, but you know, it feels like an outline falls from heaven, you know, the clouds part, and then I think, should I try to not alliterate it? No, I'm going to go with it, okay? Let's take passion first. Jesus tells us here to seek these things. We've all been wired by God with this longing for glory, for this desire for worship, and with that, a longing for purpose, for a mission, to experience and celebrate something glorious in our hearts, and to declare and celebrate that something out in the world. He gives us something to seek. One of my beloved children that will remain nameless um, once let us know from school that their, their keys had been lost. And as we began communicating back and forth about some next steps, you know, where did you have them last, you know? That's always your favorite question, right? Would you please trace your steps, you know? Yeah, like you didn't think of that. Um, some panic then ensued as, you know, getting home was going to be complicated for everyone. Getting them replaced would be quite a pain. So we asked our kid to look really hard for them, and they, of course, had been doing that. But then that child walked outside, and what do you know? the car was actually running. And it had been all day long, and the keys were inside. Now, let me, let me be clear. I couldn't get the kid a very hard time about that because I'd done something fairly similar not too long ago. I'd gone into the doctor's office, come back out, and wow, my car's running. What's, what's going on there? But friends, the way that, that my child was seeking, that's the way we're to seek with a sense of desperation, like we do for something that's lost. Often in the Bible, the word is used in that way. You may think of Luke 15, this pursuit of a lost sheep, a lost coin. But unlike those car keys, what God offers hasn't been lost at all. It hasn't been hidden. But we're to pursue it with that kind of zeal, with that passion, with, with effort, with perseverance, we're called to seek, to seek diligently, to keep seeking it even more, and to not give up. But so often we're, we're seeking after the wrong things. 
aren't we? I've been working my way through Richard Power's book, The Overstory, and there's this early character in the book. It's this art student named Nick, and the author lists out the things that he's been learning in art school in Chicago, and the first is this. Human history was the story of an increasingly disoriented hunger. Old Testament theologian Bruce Waltke puts it this way, ours is a society starved for spiritual truth, but indiscriminating in its taste. You and I were so often slamming Big Macs when a juicy steak from C.C. Broiler is in front of us. We have this hunger for meaning, we have this desire for a mission, for wonder, for glory, but we're disoriented. We've run after the wrong things, and the Bible calls that sin, right? The Lord has given us something to seek that should be our passion, something to consume us, something to move us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't give us a lot of things that he's made to enjoy, It's just there's one thing that's meant to be the sun and all those other things are meant to rotate around that thing. Second, consider priority. Jesus says, right, that we're to seek first something. Seek first. It's meant to come above all else. On our list of priorities, what Jesus spells out here is supposed to be at the top of our task list, on our calendar, first. God made us knowing that first things should come first and comprehending what those first things truly are, but we've gotten that mixed up too. Maybe we say we value what Christ says is of chief importance here. Maybe we even deep down really do care about it, but we still let things get out of balance all the time. We look at our phones instead of listening to our children. We stay too long at work and neglect our spouse. We may get lost here in the sermon, and I can too because we're thinking about the game, and then a loss in the afternoon ruins our whole week. Our passions have been disordered, and so have our priorities. Next week, as as Brandon mentioned, the Glossons are sharing about their, their mission to Japan, and it also happens to be the same day of the AFC championship game, right? So I was sharing with my brothers Reese and Grayler the other night how we were going to do everything we could to make sure that we could catch both. And then I said, you know, this does feel kind of weird, though, considering what I'm talking about tomorrow. And then Kevin said, yeah, seek first the chief's kingdom, right? And then David said, of course, and I, I appreciate this brother. He was like, hey, it's okay for us to take in both of those things during that day. And I was like, preach it, brother. You got it. Um, But the Lord wants us to put first things first, right? Pursuing the wrong passions, the wrong priorities. The Bible calls that sin, but even more, he calls that idolatry. Turning from our God, from our creator, turning to created things, false gods instead, running after lesser glories, finding our joy there. Idolatry. Tim Keller has written scores of articles, even books about idolatry, And he defines an idol this way. An idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate. We say, unless I have that, I am nothing. I like the way also that Tim Chester explains it. An idol is anything we look to instead of God for living water. Our double sin is first, rejecting the truth of God's greatness and goodness, and second, placing our affections elsewhere. So the Lord doesn't want us to make our passion, or our priority, sports or work or our homes or our hobbies. 
Not that those can't be good things, they just can't be ultimate things. He doesn't want us to pursue idols, but underneath all those things is something deeper that I'll touch on later. Well, what does Jesus want us to seek first? What does Jesus want to be our ambition? We see it in this passage. Let's third consider the point. That word of seek first, what does it say? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Let's take each of those things in turn. We're to first seek after his reign, the kingdom of God, his reign, R-E-I-G-N, that kind of reign. Now, when we talk about God's reign, we're often talking about a spiritual reality, of course. Um, As people bow before him, as they recognize him as king, the reign of God spreads. Jesus says in the gospel that, that the kingdom is here, it's come in part, but we await a day when it will come in full, and that just won't be a spiritual thing. Jesus will return, heaven will come down to earth, and he'll reign with his people over a renewed creation forever and ever. So it's his reign, spiritual and material, that we're to seek. Second, we're to seek after his ways. Not just the kingdom of God, but also his righteousness is what we're to pursue. Now, if we think back to what we've already seen in the Sermon on the Mount, I think this helps that we're to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it says in chapter five and verse six. The blessed, it says, will be persecuted for righteousness' sake in verse 10. And that we have to have a righteousness, it says, that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. That's verse 20 of chapter five. What are we talking about when we speak of righteousness here? Holiness, obedience, seeking God's will, conformity to his ways, running after what he wants. That's what Jesus is calling us in part to here. But I think it's even more than that. Now that word in that day was used much more broadly than just our personal righteousness. It often referred to justice. It's translated that way often in the Bible. It's not just us as individuals seeking his ways, it's longing for that to be done out in the world. His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Matthew 6.10, we, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it's also something we're meant to pursue. Martin Luther King Jr. and those who supported him heard the same things that we hear often today when we speak of things like justice. Just preach the gospel, man. You know, keep the main thing the main thing. Yes, the gospel is about the cross, what Jesus came and did to bring us forgiveness, but it's also about the kingdom, why Jesus came and did it, and how he's going to rid his creation of sin. The goal, the means, the cross, the goal, the kingdom, where there'll be peace and justice forever and ever with him. So as we often say in Chorus, we're not just about justification, about being declared righteous by God and then seeing his righteousness worked out in our lives. We're also about justice, about the world being finally put to rights and his coming righteousness being worked out in the world little by little here and now. The kingdom, the gospel, those are the point, friends. That's what we're to run after, to make our ambition. Now, if you know, if you've been in Karis for some time, you know, Karis means grace. 
those things, the kingdom, his righteousness, those are gifts. They're given by grace. We can't earn them no matter how hard we work. But it doesn't mean that we just sit there, right? Commentator William Hendrickson explains, and it fits really with the theme of this passage that we're in, that nature can teach us about how this works. He says, even trees, as inactive as they may seem, right, stand there and look like a tree, right? They seem inactive, but they're anything but. They draw nourishment from the soil. They're, They're taking energy from the sun. They're dependent, but they're not passive. We have to seek our Lord, his reign, his ways with that same mindset, a grace that fuels us to pursue him. Well, we've talked about what we're to seek first, but what could that look like? Let's first, let's fourth, consider some pictures of this. Now, when we talk about this verse, seek his kingdom, his righteousness, it's often just thought of something personal, just about me and me feeding my soul. That's how we pursue the kingdom. If you were raised in the church, that's what you probably learn. You know, read your Bible, pray every day, and then everything's going to be a-okay. And if you think about it, that really fits, though, with the spirit of our age where religion is a personal thing that's better kept to ourselves out of the public square. Now, if this verse ever is thought of going outside the private and we start thinking public with Jesus' words, it often ends up just going this way. It's about sharing the gospel, about saving souls, about getting lost people found. That's how we seek his reign and his ways. Now, hear me. This certainly includes what we do personally. We need to read God's word. We need to feed our souls as we feed our bodies or we'll starve. But we also need to do it corporately. And that's just as important. Praying and singing with our brothers and sisters, hearing the word preached. You need to be here and with your MC, not just for you, but for those around you. It's, it's, it's so important. We also need to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. And we in America have gotten so used to, to everything being you know, sort of Christianized, and it's not that way, it's not going that way much longer, that we tend to neglect this. We, we don't out of fear, but this is the calling he gives us to make disciples of Jesus, to see people bow their knee in faith to the king of the universe. So faithful Christians care about people's souls. We do. If we think about how the gospel of Matthew ends with this thing they call the Great Commission, but we also care for bodies, don't we? You may have heard this idea that we're just souls that happen to have a body, you know, that we someday will get rid of when we fly to heaven. No, we've been made intentionally by God as whole persons, body and soul, and Jesus cares about both. We see that in the Gospels where he comes to heal the sick and to preach the Gospel. One day he's going to raise our bodies from the dead, So as we take out his kingdom into the world, we should love people, body, and soul as well. So hear me, we're not just talking about spiritual things only. As we go about the callings that God's given us on earth, we can infuse them with eternal significance. As we point people to our creator and redeemer through our work and through our words. I love the way Gordon Spikeman once put it, Nothing matters but the kingdom. But because of the kingdom, everything matters. It gives meaning to our work, to our art, to our hobbies, to whatever it would be. 
They can have kingdom significance. Now, in talking about pursuing his righteousness, it's most often seen as how we as individuals, again, need to repent, how we need to obey. But we so often need to do that corporately as well. As the church, we need to own ways that we've sinned. And a big one is in matters of of race. And we need to repent and obey and get on the right path together. But we also want to see his righteousness lived out around us as more and more people bow to King Jesus as they bring their lives in conformity with his gospel in personal holiness, but also in public justice. That should be our desire and prayer, Karis. So with all that in mind, what could all this look like? Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Here are some ideas. Getting up early to listen to God's word. Doing whatever you can to get your family here on Sundays. Bringing up what Jesus has done for you with a classmate or a coworker. Shoveling your elderly neighbor's snowy drive on a really cold day. Inviting someone to live in an extra room in your home. Refusing to gossip in the break room at your store. Heading across the ocean to share Christ in a scary place. Standing up for someone who's being mistreated at your workplace. Taking in a foster child and maybe even pursuing adoption. Buying a homeless woman a meal and listening to her story. Standing against injustice by participating in a march. Giving to your church or to other missionaries or charities. Choosing sexual purity in a world that mocks God's word. Not joining in and even speaking up at inappropriate jokes at school. Helping one of your children back to sleep when they're afraid of the dark. Performing your trade in a way that glorifies God and points to him. Loading the dishwasher. Serving your spouse when all you want to do is go to bed. Helping a friend see with love that their choices are bringing consequences. Choosing a career, choosing a major with Jesus and his priorities in mind. Speaking up against a policy or a law that oppresses the needy. Sharing some of what you have with a family here who's struggling. Showing a coworker how to do a task when you really just want to get home. Confessing sin, owning a mistake on your job to your boss. Praying for the sick, or maybe giving them some medicine, owning and lamenting as a church family ways we've not loved the oppressed. All of these, I think, are examples of what seeking his kingdom and his righteousness could look like, and we could go on. Here on earth, think about this, the church can be this little pocket of heaven, this preview of the kingdom of God where we're an embassy of that world to come. We're a picture of what things will look like when heaven comes to earth and Jesus fully and finally reigns. Does that picture fit with us? Do people walk in these doors? Do they come into our homes? And do they see people pursuing his kingdom and pursuing his righteousness first? In addition, we also get to be agents of the kingdom, where we're ambassadors that go out representing our king. When we're out in our city, on our jobs, in our schools, is that what people would see in us? Would they see what the reign of God does in our lives? Would they see a people living out his ways? That's what Jesus wants us to look like as his people, as people who run after and live out, who preview and point to the point 
of all things. But what does Jesus say will come as we run after all that? Fifth, then, see the prize that's promised. I want you to hear verse 33 again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Eventually, we're going to get to the parables that the Lord teaches in Matthew chapter 13. Listen to verses 40 through 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you catch what Jesus is saying? We, we search and search until we get what we want. We sell all we have. We give up so much. But what we gain is so much better. The treasure of treasures, the pearl of great price, are ours. Paul puts it in Philippians 1 like this. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Either way, we win. We have the great reward. Or back to what Jesus says here, if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. Yeah, you got me. In the context, all these things refers to physical necessities, not luxuries, food and clothing. But as we see in the Bible, definitely here as we go through Matthew, God promises a great reward for those who will pursue his reign and his ways. Jesus will call some people to go even without the basics. But all we truly need, and especially a life in a new heavens and new earth with him, will be ours. We'll never fully, finally go without. We'll have Jesus. Other ambitions, idols, they'll leave us disappointed, but Jesus will give everything we need, even more than we could imagine. Better than a championship ring, better than a corner office at work. Better than having a kid get into Harvard or a retirement spent on the beach. There's this great prize for those who pursue Jesus. We get what we pursue, and if it's him, it'll be glorious. Sixth, I want us to talk about the price of this passion, of this pursuit. This seems to be implied in the, in the verses that surround. If we seek his kingdom... If we give ourselves for that, we're going to make ourselves vulnerable. We're going to be stretched where we will be, we'll have to trust him for our needs. We'll be forced to do that. Think of what Jesus says in Matthew 16. If we want to follow him, we have to deny ourselves. We have to follow him completely. We have to take up our crosses, be willing to die. Verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, we see the reward there, but we often jump over that and we don't consider the cost that we pay. Jesus doesn't promise us a trouble free life, right? We'll have glimpses and foretastes, yes, of peace and joy here in this fallen world, but plenty of troubles as well, especially if we're followers of Jesus. You could share the gospel at work and it could get you fired. You might move to that closed country and find yourself in jail. You might foster that child and find it's so much harder than you imagined. 
You might let that person into your home and you might end up getting robbed. You might stand up that, for that person at school and you might end up getting bullied yourself. You might give generously to a friend and then find out you can't take that vacation you wanted. Or you might give extra to your church and an unexpected expense comes up and then you're asking someone else for money. Your desire to seek the kingdom and his righteousness could cost someone you're dating as they walk away because they think that you're taking things far too seriously or you have to break up with them because they don't want to put first things first. You could spend more time in God's word You could be more involved in your church and you might not ace that class or get that promotion. We give up our time. We lay down our talents. We pour out our treasure to the king for his kingdom. We have to reckon with the seeking after the Lord, his reign, his ways, it's costly. But there's a couple of things we have to remember. Those other things that we pursue, they have costs to them as well. Tom Brady again lost his wife. That's not the first woman that's walked away. Your obsession with your work could lose you your kids. Your commitment to work to get to the top could cost you your friends. When we bow to idols, when we serve them, we pay them, that's for sure. But unlike Jesus, there's no grace to be found there. And the reality, though, is that they're just not worth what they cost. They're never worth that investment. They never fully pay off. If we ran the cost-benefit analysis and compared it to seeking the kingdom, there'd be no comparison at all. I hope you're reading Confronting Christianity, our winner, one read by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's so good. But really the book that came before that that really inspired hers was Keller's The Reason for God. And like Rebecca, what they're both trying to do is they're trying to deal with objections, what, what he calls defeater beliefs, that they argue keep people today from even considering what Christianity teaches. One that Keller talks about is this idea that Christianity is a straitjacket. It limits our freedom, it takes away our fun, it makes us miserable, And it's just this, seek that first? Really, what about me? You know, that's so limiting, confining, come on. But Keller argues that to experience the joy and freedom of love, you must give up your personal autonomy, right? That's marriage, that's church membership. He also writes, freedom then is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it is finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. Friends, the good news is that, yes, we have to lay down our lives for Jesus, but the reality is is that he's already given himself to us, and as we give away our freedom, what we get from him is so amazing. On On the idea of a relationship with God being dehumanizing, Keller writes this, while this may be true in other forms of religion and belief in God, it is not true in Christianity. In the most radical way, God has adjusted to us in his incarnation and atonement. In Jesus Christ, he became a limited human being, vulnerable to suffering and death. On the cross, he submitted to our condition as sinners and died in our place to forgive us. In the most profound way, God has said to us in Christ, I will adjust to you, I will change for you, I'll serve you, though it means a sacrifice for me. If he has done this for us, we can and should say the same to God and others, 
Paul writes, the love of Christ constrains us. Once you realize how Jesus changed for you and gave himself of you, you aren't afraid of giving up your freedom and therefore finding your freedom in him. So friends, there's a price, but we can't forget the prize and the cost that was paid for us to receive it. So this morning, Jesus stands in heaven. He's still proclaiming these words to us. And I want us to consider as we begin to wrap up what he could be saying to us today. For each of us today, God brought you here for a reason. Will you hear what Christ demands here? Some of you, you've never bowed to Jesus as king, and you need to hear these for the first time. And he says to you, seek me first, child. Seek my kingdom, my righteousness. Turn from all those other pursuits. They're just gonna leave you disappointed, but I offer you rest. Will you come to him now? Others of you, you've known Jesus for some time, but maybe you've turned away. In the words of Revelation 2, you've abandoned the love you had at first. You've run after the things of this world. You've pursued things that have left you empty. And Jesus just says, return to me. I'll welcome you back. I love you. Will you return to him again? So some of us maybe need conversion today. Some of us need renewal but we all need to hear these words from Jesus afresh and respond. But I don't want to leave you discouraged. Christian, Karis, run after the gospel as we're talking about here. Make it your priority. Make him your passion, but also fall into the gospel. That is when we fail, when we come short, when our eyes stray, when we get off track, when we stumble and fall. Fall into his arms. Lean into his grace. His kingdom, his righteousness are not achieved by our goodness. They don't come by our efforts. Christian, we're not loved because we're good. We're loved because we're his. But let's allow that love to transform us into people who carry his goodness, who spread his reign, who live out all his ways in a manner that makes people recognize his greatness and want to get in on what we're on. Remember, it's not that we have to do this, what Jesus says here, it's that we get to do this. Well, I began talking about the verses that come right before in chapter six, but we can also learn more if we even go back to the first of the chapter. So I don't know if you remember that, if you were with us, but Jesus talks about wrong ways to go about spiritual rhythms, giving, fasting, praying. What's the problem that Jesus is addressing? We talked about this hypocrisy. Doing those things to be seen by others. Author Sinclair Ferguson explains that at the root of both hypocrisy and anxiety, what this chapter, what this section is dealing with, are the same thing. Hypocrisy, anxiety, there's this focus on self. You either want yourself to be seen and praised or you want to supply your own needs and be proud but both anxiety and both hypocrisy are at the root about building the kingdom of self. One of my favorite authors, Paul David Tripp, said it all comes down to what kingdom we're building. He says, everyone lives for some kind of treasure. The, the thing that's your treasure will control your heart. What controls your heart will control your behavior. And your functional treasures are always attached to the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God, one of the two. And then he writes... 
Either I've attached my identity, meaning, and purpose and inner sense of well-being to the earthbound treasures of the kingdom of self or to the heavenly treasures of the kingdom of God. Whose kingdom are we building? Whose righteousness are we after? His, the Lord's, are ours. Tom Brady was once asked what his favorite Super Bowl ring was, and he replied, the next one. That's what moves him. That's his ambition. And he's shown he'll pay whatever it costs to get there. But we're really not that much different for him, from him. Maybe for you, again, it's moving up the ladder at work. It's raking in tons of cash or acing your classes in the GRE and getting into the best school you can. But beneath those ambitions, all the, the blood, sweat, and tears we're willing to pay, all the anxiety and fear that results is this building of the kingdom of self, it's pride. It's pride, but our kingdom, our kingdom will never satisfy. It'll always leave us disappointed. It makes God angry. You need to hear that. But it also messes us up. Several years ago, after another ring, uh, Brady said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I thank God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. No, it's not. We were made for his kingdom to serve our king. Jesus, that is our mission so, Karis, let's lay down our lives for him. And as we do gain everything, let's make his reign and ways our priority and our passion, knowing that the prize is worth the price. Let's pray. God, um, we just come to you today and ask for you to be at work in us. I know that we're all coming in with different burdens um, different struggles, um, just different moods today, lots of different places, but um, please, um, by your spirit, convict us, show us how you want us to respond, what this means for us this week, this year, in the years ahead, what this means to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first. Father, I, I pray that you would make us a people that are humble and hungry and always uh, willing to, to be introspective, to be repentant, to scan our lives and see things that are out of sort and, and willing to run um, to your arms of grace and willing to talk to our brothers and sisters to ask for prayer in helping us get on track, Father. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.